Good morning. Oh, you know, it's just so good to be in God's presence, isn't it? I was here, well, I was here most weeks, but I was in the service last week. And uh, we normally have quite a, a busy Sunday morning. Uh, our girls have swimming lessons before church, just just the way we could fit them in. Um, so they were swimming lessons nine, 9 to 9.30, so it's always quite a manic hour, getting home, washing hair, drying hair, getting changed, and then coming here. Um, but just on an off occasion, my wife Becky took the kids. So I was, I was kind of really chilled out. I was just like, yeah, this is great. Really relaxing morning at home with our little boy, Zach. And I came to church two weeks ago, and Andrew was preaching. And I don't know if anyone else was here at the time, but I just felt the Holy Spirit was just so evident in the room. Um, I could hear people responding after the service. Um, I could hear people engaging with God. I could hear one or two people weeping. And I, I thought, oh, God, it's just so good to be in your presence. I went away two weeks ago just so light of heart, so refreshed. for like my, my spirit and my soul had been restored. So my number one aim this morning is it just we experience God's Holy Spirit today. Um, if you don't listen to anything I say, that's absolutely fine. As long as you engage with God, and I really pray that God would be here today. And on that note... Today, I just want to tell you about Jesus. I've got nothing else to offer other than Jesus. No persuasive words, no well-reasoned arguments. Only Jesus. And I want to tell you some stories about Jesus because ultimately they are the best stories of all. And it's only the Holy Spirit speaking to us through his presence, through his word, and through scripture that challenges us and comforts us. This morning, I want to look at a a famous passage of, of Jesus, a, a passage where Jesus is brave, he's courageous, he steps into danger, he steps into authority. Jesus declares who he is and he starts to declare his public ministry. And my hope this morning is that we can just know Jesus a little bit more this morning and feel his love for us just a little bit more this morning. Okay? So this is our final week looking at the, the Kingdom of God series. And I, for one, have really enjoyed it. I find it thought-provoking. I find it challenging. We've covered a lot of different themes over the last sort of eight weeks since Christmas. Uh, and we looked at a few things of like what the kingdom of God is like. You know, it's, it's, sometimes it's hard to define. It's hard to uh, get a hands on. It's, it's not something that's sort of tangible, sort of physical. It's, it's come, come into the world, yet it's still coming. And yet it is to, yet to come fully at the end of time. It's a kingdom of peace, a kingdom of justice, a kingdom of righteousness and love. It's a spiritual kingdom. And we as believers can participate in that kingdom. Um, we are the, the image bearers of God's kingdom. You know, we are made in God's image, therefore we are like him in, 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 in the image sense. And you know, I want to tell you something here today. Our kingdom has a king, and he's a king of glory and his name is Jesus. Amen. And in preparing this talk, I just feel like the Lord wants to say today, in my kingdom, I have come to bring freedom to you, and also for you to bring freedom to others. In the name of Jesus Christ. I'll just repeat that. In my kingdom, I have come to bring freedom to you, and also for you to send freedom to others in the name of Jesus Christ. So in the passage today, we're going to look at some characteristics of the kingdom of God. 
We're going to look at the words Jesus said. Jesus always spoke very deliberately. Um, His words are carefully chosen. In the passage, he creates a very famous Old Testament passage, which describes what the future Messiah, the God's anointed one, would be like. Except he changes some of the words to redefine it, because he wants to bring a new kingdom. He wants to bring a much bigger and greater kingdom than anyone expected. Jesus is proclaiming a kingdom of love, of freedom, justice, and compassion. A never-ending kingdom of joy and gladness, joy and gladness, um, which is open to you and to me today. Does that sound good? I'm just going to quickly pray for us. Lord Jesus, it is just so good to be part of your kingdom, to be called one of your own, to be called your child. Thank you that you've brought around brought about a new kingdom, a kingdom that includes us here today in Leeds. Jesus, you are our king of glory. We need you today more than ever. We need you today and every day. Amen. So like I said, we're looking at a wonderful piece of scripture today. It's quite a famous passage, and if you've been a Christian for a while or you've been coming to church recently, it's probably a passage that's quite familiar to you by now. It's where Jesus starts to declare his public ministry. Up until this point, he's been quite deliberately quiet. He's sort of flown under the radar for fear that word would escalate about him too quickly. So in Luke 4, uh, it says, So Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he was brought up. And on the Sabbath, he went to the synagogue, as was his custom, much like we're doing here today. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found a place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And then he stopped. He he rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened upon him. They began saying to him, he began saying, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All witnessed him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And then you will tell me, do hear in your hometown what we heard you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Jesus goes on to give two uh, stories from the Old Testament, which I won't cover now for, for time's sake, but I will touch upon later. And then it finishes, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, took him to the brow of a hill in which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff kill him. But he walked right through the crowd and he went on his way. So what does this passage tell us about the kingdom of God? Well, I just want to ask us a few questions today. Why does Jesus quote this famous Old Testament passage? Why were the locals so angry? What does this passage teach us about the kingdom of God? I mean, that that is my whole sermon. What does it teach us about the kingdom of God? But you know what I mean. 
And what does it mean for us today? Why did Jesus choose this passage of all passages as his first public proclamation? And why did he edit it and change the words? Both the selection of the text and its editing are important. Now, one of the major Old Testament prophets is called Isaiah. And he was a prophet who lived about 700 years before Jesus was alive. And he wrote a lot about the coming saviour of the world, what he'd be like. And there's several chapters towards the end of his rather long book called, uh, sort of describes the suffering servant. And it's right in the middle of this text in Isaiah that Jesus quotes from. It's in Isaiah 61. It's, it's quite a long passage, but I'll just, just read one little extract from it. It's, you'll probably, again, recognise these words. So it says in Isaiah 61, this is 700 years before Jesus. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Okay, you know, it sounds familiar. This is what Jesus is quoting. Some of the words might be different. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Okay, that's a bit different. To proclaim freedom from the captives and release from the darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance for our God. To comfort all who mourn. Okay, Jesus has stopped quoting this bit by now, but I'll just carry on for a second. Um, to, provide, uh, to, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, that's what Nick preached on last week, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, an oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for his display of his splendor. Oaks of righteousness, that's partly where we get our name for this church. And it goes on to say, God will rebuild the ruined cities. Uh, strangers will serve God's faithful people. They'll be called priests of God. Uh, they'll, get, they'll get rich off other nations. They'll uh, boast in their success. They'll receive um, an extra portion. Um, everything they do will be prosperous, etc., etc. They'll inherit the land. All good things will come to them. So naturally, if you're a first century Jew, you're thinking, hey, hey, this sounds pretty good. I like the sound of this saviour. This text was at the heart of their history and their identity. Here in Isaiah, uh, it's describing the anticipated golden age when God's saviour is going to return. So probably thinking something like, hey, we Israelites have been drowned, trodden for centuries, for generations. This saviour is going to come. He's going to kick out all our enemies. We're going to live in a nice, secure nation. We're going to be rich. We're going to be powerful. We're going to have servants do all our hard work. We're going to lord it over people. We're going to eat all the best food. We're going to drink all the best drinks. It's going to be fantastic. I can't wait for this saviour to come. So naturally, this idea about what things would be like was really attractive to them. Don't see why not. Um, but they said... Um, sorry... My page has gone missing. It's gone to the next one. I seem to miss the page, but never mind. So Jesus is talking about um, what this coming saviour of the world is going to be like. And then it goes on to say, so, so, so why were the locals so angry? Um, just go on to the next slide. Sorry, go back. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know what's happened to one of my pages. Um, why does Jesus quote this Old Testament passage? This Old Testament passage was very, the very heart of what the people thought, like I've said. Jesus describes it because he is anticipating, he is declaring who he is. He is the saviour of the world. 
So Jesus leaves very little um, room between the two. He's either, he is who he says he is, he's God's servant, he's God's um, Messiah, or actually he's a bit of a, bit of an unknown. He's a bit of a, maybe he's a bit of a strange man. He's a bit unusual. So we can sort of paint the picture of what Jesus was, was doing, what the scene was like. So, okay, Jesus, he's a, he's a local boy. He's a local lad from Nazareth. Uh, he comes back to his hometown. You know, he's done pretty well for himself. He's, he's a local carpenter's son. He's now a traveling rabbi. Um, and he's come home to his hometown. So there's a bit of excitement. He's done pretty well for himself. He's got a few followers now. So he gets up into the, onto the top of the synagogue, much like we're doing now. In, in church here today, that you know they met on a, they met in a synagogue very similar to this setting, and he starts to unroll the scroll. Okay, oh brilliant! He's he's picked Isaiah 61. We love that passage. That's the one where all good things are going to come to us, and our our enemies are going to be our servants, and God's going to do wonderful things. And he starts to read out the scroll, but things are a little bit different. Why 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 are some of the words changed? This doesn't sound quite right. Then he finishes very abruptly with proclaiming the day of the Lord's favour. Like, hmm, how come he's left all these other bits? He's left out the bits about the, the Lord's vengeance. I don't really understand that. So he rolls up the scroll, and then he says today, today in this, in this passage, this passage has been fulfilled in your hearing. So there's, they're like, what? The, the, the eyes are fastened upon him. Did, did he say that right? I don't understand. Why, Jesus, don't you understand this passage? You've, you've changed the words. What's going on here? So a bit confused, which is hence why they are so angry. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to them and said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Okay. Like, is this not Joseph's son? Didn't this young man grow up here? Doesn't he know how we feel about this passage? And I uh, just want to, if you haven't heard of this book before, this is a book I've referenced quite a lot. It's called Jesus in Middle East and Eyes by a guy called Kenneth Bailey. And he's, He's an excellent Bible scholar, and he spent most of his life growing up in the, the Middle East, Israel, Lebanon, Egypt. So he's got an excellent understanding of what, what the, uh, the, the, the cultural significance is. And he says, he suggests the locals are so angry because when Jesus quotes here, he's come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. He leaves out the second half of the word, verse, which reads, and the day of the Lord's vengeance. He says the crowd are angry because they actually wanted vengeance. They don't want compassion and mercy to their oppressors. They want to be the ones in power. They want to see their enemies suffer. This local boy, Jesus, the local son of a carpenter, you know, what does he know? Can he really be taken seriously? And actually, at the heart of it, you know, they're really prejudiced. They, they have no faith in Jesus. From the outset, there was a unanimous rage at Jesus' message. The good news was their stumbling block mainly because Jesus had removed the vengeance on the, the non-believers from the picture of the future. And you know, when we get negative reactions or ridicule or contempt for our beliefs or what we say, you know, Jesus had it just the same, if not, you know, of course, much worse um, with what he went through in the end. Um, so it's, it's, only, it's, only, it's only natural that people might react in this way. Even Jesus himself got such uh, negative reactions right from the off. But Jesus goes on to give two examples of Old Testament prophets. So I skipped over this bit. He gives an example of the prophet Elijah, and he gives an uh, example of the prophet Elisha. So both these are also Old Testament prophets. 
And uh, in these examples, he gives examples of where these prophets are sent out of Israel. He's not sent to God's people, these prophets. They're sent away. So in a similar way, Jesus is saying, I haven't come just for you. I've come for everybody. I've not come to proclaim vengeance on your enemies. I've come to include everyone in my new kingdom. He wants to bless them. So like I said, Jesus is creating a new kingdom where he is the Messiah, God's own son, our king of glory. So like I said, the audience have two options. Do they accept him for who he says he is? Or actually, do they, do they react negatively? Do they think actually he's, he's, he's committing blasphemy here? And they choose the latter. They, they drive him out of the synagogue. They get a, get a mob together. They drive him out of town to the local, the local hill, the local cliff. Um, to, to throw him off, to kill him, as was their custom, when people um, committed blasphemy or misquoted the scriptures. But for every, whatever reason, they couldn't go through it. So that's why they were so angry. Thirdly, so what, what does this passage teach about the kingdom of God? Well, Jesus' ministry was to break the power of the economic, the social, the political chains that kept people in, in bondage kept them from this freedom that we're talking about. And he wants to do the same to us today, and he's been doing it all throughout history. He wants to bring freedom, and he wants to bring freedom to us today. Like I said at the beginning, I think the Lord wants to say to us today, in my kingdom, I've come to bring freedom to you here today, but also for you to bring freedom to others in the name of Jesus Christ. God's presence releases people from things that weigh us down. The things that stop us loving and trusting God as we should. Things that tell us, you know, God doesn't love you. The things you've done, God could never possibly love you. The things you've done, forget it. You don't need God. God's nothing. God's insignificant. He's not worth borrowing about. You live your life just as you want to. No consequences. It's all going to be fine. Jesus came to break all that. He came to break the things that, that chain us, that keep us in bondage that um, stop us loving and living God in the way that we, the, the, the way that we can. So there's three key things I just want to pull out of this, this little snippet of what he says. First one is about proclamation and preaching. The second is about freedom and releasing and social justice. And the third one is compassion. So if we just look at these words again in, in this new light, so remember you're, you're, you're hearing this as a first century Jew, you love this passage, but what's, what's Jesus saying here? Jesus stands up in the synagogue and he says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. If you notice, the passage sort of repeats itself a little bit. The first and the last lines are about preaching and proclamation, being a good witness. The next two are about sort of sending and releasing, bringing freedom. And the third one right in the middle is about compassion. So the first one, sort of proclaiming the good news. What, what is this? What is this good news that we've been claiming? Well, when we look back at, again, Isaiah, uh, when Isaiah speaks of the poor, proclaiming good news to the poor, he's referring mainly to two groups of people. There's people who don't have enough money or enough to eat, but then there's also people that are hungering after God, who are, who are spiritually hungry, to, who are seeking God. And in Isaiah, these, these words, sort of the poor, they're referred to 15 times. 
Three times it's people who don't have enough money or enough to eat, but the rest of the time it's the people who hunger and thirst after God. And we see in Isaiah 61, he uses the second word, uh, the second meaning, the, the spiritually hungry, the meek. So that's not a free pass for us. You know, ah, oh, well, 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 there's some technical difficulties about who exactly is the poor. You know, it's not, there's some conjecture on that. Who, is this person poor? Is that person poor? You know, it's not, it's not a get out of free uh, jail pass. You know, if we read the Gospels, Jesus clearly um, provides for all people, provides for the poor, those who are in physical and uh, material needs. Literally do miracles to give people enough to eat. So the point is, the poor is much more all-encompassing than just hungry people. It's also people who have spiritual needs. Apparently, the early, the early Jewish Christians used to call themselves, call themselves the poor ones. Uh, I think it's the Ibionites, the, the poor ones, as it's translated. And in Matthew, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And I think we've mentioned that in this, um, in this series before. Some people have taken that on as their, their sort of passage of the year, have really kind of touched their hearts. And throughout history, the church has proclaimed in the name of Jesus that there's hope and there's light in the name of Jesus. For those who truly seek God, there's freedom in God's kingdom for those who truly want to pursue him and enter into that kingdom. This proclamation of good news to the poor is the opening and closing phrases of this, of this uh, goal, this, this endorsement of the, the God's chosen one. And secondly, there's some, uh, there's some references to sending, to, to releasing, to bringing freedom. So these parallels are not accidental. It's not by chance that the, the two lines sort of repeat themselves. You see the sort of the second and the sort of fourth or fifth line. The striking difference is the first one, it's God's anointed one being sent. And then the second reference, it's God sending. It's, it's release of the oppressed. God is being sent, but then he sends us. In 2 Corinthians, it says, the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory who are being transformed into his image. There's that image again, with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And I really do believe that when we come near to Jesus, we enter into that freedom. The things that have chained us or weighed us down uh, are, are thrown off us. Jesus lightens our heart. Like I said two weeks ago, I just, I just left this building feeling God's presence, feeling so light of heart that I went away um, singing that song, you know, um, it is well with my soul. I thought, yes, you know, it is well with my soul. Like, I've entered into God's presence and it feels good. I feel a, I feel a, a lightness in my heart. And um, I've been keep, trying to keep like a little bit of a sort of, sort of prayer diary slash journal this year. And I'm getting in the habit of writing um, whenever I sort of write an adventure, like, I am blessed. And I think it was, was it David Lavery when he was here a few months back? He talked about saying, I am blessed. And he gave several stories of his life when some crazy things had happened and God had intervened. And he goes, yes, I am blessed. We are so blessed here today, if you know Jesus. And we can be so blessed time and time again when we enter into his presence. The Lord brings freedom. Going back to uh, Isaiah again, and this time Isaiah 42, it's, it quotes, 
here is my servant, this is God. This again about this suffering servant, God proclaiming and what the future is going to be like, this, this uh, Messiah. He says, here is my servant who I behold, uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on the earth. You know, Jesus is bringing that, that justice, that freedom, and we're called to do something similar. We can, we can pass on that justice, we can pass on that freedom to those who don't yet know, know Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Proclaiming good news to the poor. Jesus has done it all for us and he gives us that freedom. And then thirdly, right in the middle of this little passage, it says he gives sight to the blind. I don't know if I've got a slide on it, but it's, yeah, it says um, to restore sight to those who are blind. So this is one of the new lines Jesus is inserting in this passage, and it's here for a reason. It was a long-held Jewish tradition that restoring sight to the blind was believed to be one of the clear signs that Messiah had come. Here in Luke's Gospel, this compassionate act of opening eyes of the blind is the centre of this sort of messianic vision of what the future is going to be like. So if we go back to, you guessed it, our friend Isaiah. He says again, this is again Isaiah 42. It says, I, the Lord, have called you into righteousness to open the eyes that are blind, to free the captives from prison and to release from the dungeons those who sit in darkness. And again, here's another one. Isaiah 58. Is it not the kind of fast I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of yoke, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke and chain. So I know some of us are very passionate about uh, bringing justice, social justice, social freedom. If we see something that's not like, hey, 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 this is not right, and I want to do something about it. You know, we've got some worthy causes. Some people are very passionate about the causes they're involved in, which is fantastic. You know, that's, that's part of God's mission for us. So, so far we've had proclaiming the good news. We've had sort of freedom and um, social justice, releasing of people from, from things that weighs down. And then thirdly, we've got this, this compassion. And in uh, 1 Corinthians it says, now faith, hope, and love abide, but, these, but of these three, the greatest of these is love. You know, an act of compassion and love is placed right in the centre of this, this Old Testament passage of proclamation of justice and freedom and compassion. A key message of the challenge in this text is to present to the church of every age to strive for this, this sort of trinity of good news. You know, keep it together. Proclamation or preaching, sharing the good news, freedom and justice and compassion. Each is meaningful, but you know, together they're such a strong, powerful combination. And each of us have different gifts and different servings which uh, tie into all three of those. And in Hebrew, you might, if you, as you find out more about the Bible, it's, I'm still learning a lot about this. Often in, in Hebrew, and certainly in the Old Testament, the sort of structure of the, of the text is very important. So this sort of repetition where it sort of uh, repeats itself beginning and end and it gets closer and then in the middle, you often find the climax of, of what's the most important. So in this passage that we've been looking at, it's, it's the compassion that's most important. You know, so what does this mean for us today? Well, firstly, we can, we can preach and preach and we can speak as many words as possible uh, until we're blue in the face. You know, some people might listen, some people might not. Okay, that's fair enough. 
Secondly, you can go out of your way to, to rectify something that, that you know is wrong, so, social injustice, bring freedom to the oppressed. You know, that's really powerful as well, that's really important. And that can change communities and cities and nations. You know, it's amazing. And thirdly, we can show compassion and empathy to those around us. Love and care for others because Jesus has loved and cared for us first. Forgive others because we have been forgiven so much. Love and compassion is one of the most powerful things in this world. You know, it shows God's love, shows God's kingdom, and it turns people towards Jesus. And compassion is such a powerful thing. If I, I've asked Beth's permission if I can quote what she said at the end of last, last week's sermon. It was, um, it was really, really impacted me. I hope I can get the words right. Um, but Beth said yesterday, uh, sorry, last week she said, God doesn't just feel sorry for us because that's sympathy. He doesn't just understand what we're going through because that's empathy. But actually actively does something about it to bring us freedom. You know, that, that's compassion. That's the sort of golden nugget in amongst this good news. That's the golden nugget that can bring freedom to the world today. So this passage is a reminder that Jesus has ushered in a new kingdom. That we can be confident that Jesus lived and died and rose again. So that we no longer need to be weighed down by the things that do weigh us down, the burdens of life. You know, it can be little, they can be big, it doesn't matter. Whatever, whatever's holding you back from loving God in your fullness, whatever, whatever's stopping you, see yourself in God's eyes, you know, as God's child. You might think, oh, I'm not good enough. You know, I know God loves me, but there's this thing that I'm not, I'm not happy about or I'm ashamed about, and that's, that's limiting me coming into God's kingdom. You know, we can be free in God's kingdom today if you accept Jesus into your life. And if you're a Christian here today, you know, you are already a member of that kingdom. And it's something that I forget a lot. You know, I wake up in the morning with the mental to-do list of, oh, yeah, I've got, got, got this thing to do. I've got to get the kids up and dressed. I've got this presentation at work. I need to do this. I need to do that. I, I just forget. I forget I'm a part of God's kingdom. I forget I'm, I'm an image bearer for God's kingdom. And... You know, I can, get, I can get frustrated at myself, I can get annoyed. Um, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not being that image bearer. I'm not showing compassion to people. I'm too, I'm too busy, I'm too busy doing stuff. Um, but actually, you know, I pray that God would open our eyes today to see people that, that need that compassion. We, we need compassion. We need compassion as well, more than anything. And in, uh, in, the, in the course of this preach, I keep asking, sorry, in the course of this uh, series that we've been looking at. I keep asking God, where is my place in your kingdom? I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm called to do this. Maybe I'm called to do that. I don't know. Maybe I'm called to witness in the workplace, but I don't think I'm very, doing a very good job of that. I don't know, God. Where is, where is my place in your kingdom? And again, if we go back two weeks ago to what Andrew was preaching, he talked about being peacemakers. And that really resonated with me about taking God's presence with me wherever I go, whatever situation. I can be that peacemaker. I can bring God's peace into that situation. Uh, and I think recently I've been, maybe off the last six months to a year, maybe I've been beating myself a bit saying, oh, I'm not, not witnessing enough. I'm not converting enough people. I'm not bringing enough people to church. I'm not doing this and not doing that. But actually, I'm a, we're peacemakers. We come to bring peace. We come to bring freedom. We come to bring compassion to those that don't yet know Jesus. It says, blessed are the peacemakers. 
So I'm, I'm going to wrap up in a minute. Um, I've been talking for a while, but we've got plenty of time. Uh, and I, I wanted to allow enough time for us to respond in, in God's presence. And thankfully, we've got, we've got loads of time in hand. <laughs> but I just want to repeat that. And maybe if the band want to, if the band want to come up again. I just want to repeat. Actually, yeah, should we, I'm trying to close. Should we close our eyes? And I, I'll, just, I'll just say one or two last things, and then we'll pray. And then we'll respond. So I just want to repeat what I said at the beginning. I think the Lord wants to say to us today, in my kingdom, I have come to bring freedom to you and also to send you to bring freedom to others in the name of Jesus Christ. We are the image bearers of his kingdom and the person we follow is Jesus. And I'll tell you something, our kingdom has a king and he is a king of glory and his name is Jesus. I just want to spend a few minutes just waiting, waiting on God, waiting on the Holy Spirit. We've got loads of time. I'll just pray for us and we'll, we'll wait on God. Lord God, it is just so good to be in your kingdom. Thank you, God, that you have accepted us. Thank you that we can be called children of God. Jesus, thank you that you, you lived and died and rose again for us. Thank you that you've brought in a new kingdom, a kingdom not of vengeance or oppression or um, anything like that, Lord. You've come to with a kingdom of freedom, a kingdom of compassion, Lord. And we just want to enter into that today. Holy Spirit, I just pray that your, your presence would be amongst us now as we wait on you and we, we worship you and we think about what you did all those years ago when you stood up in that synagogue and you proclaimed a new message, a new kingdom. Thank you, Father.